Hello and welcome to episode 32 of 20 Minute Marketing. I am joined today with Jake Surrey and Gemma Russell from Fountain Partnership. Fountain Partnership is a global award-winning digital agency and they are also a Google Premier Partner. This episode is actually the second part of a two-part series that focuses on Google Ads. During the previous episode, number 31, we discussed account settings and optimization. So if you haven't listened to that episode, then you might want to skip back and check that one out first before listening to this one. This week, we'll be focusing on upscaling your account as well as ad copy and call to actions with a few bonus questions thrown in along the way. So since you already know Jake and Gemma, we'll move on to the main section and get started right away. So the first segment in this episode and third overall is going to be about how you can scale up your Google Ads account. This is something that I'm really interested in because there have been occasions when our account has been performing really well the data might suggest turning up our ad spend and being aggressive in certain ways. And we've done that, but then the reward hasn't been as good as anticipated. And in other circumstances, we might have done a small tweak and that's performed exceptionally well without really increasing our budget too much. So I guess the million pound or Canadian dollar question for you, Jake, is you've set up your account and it's doing well. Should you increase your budget or what should you do next? So we'd look at impression share to see how much room there is for manoeuvre. I think what's really interesting is when you're using automation, maximizing your search impression share isn't necessarily always the best thing to do. And as you've said, sometimes spending more doesn't always get you more in the same incremental way. So I always think it's worth just increasing the budget incrementally rather than in one lump, because the effect of increasing your budget significantly can outweigh the benefits quite a lot. So maybe only do it in £50. £100 increments, kind of depending on what budget you've got set in the first place, of course, because if you've got it set at £10 and you want to double it to £20, then the likelihood is that will be fine. But if you want to increase your budget from £500 to £1,000, it might be better to do that in £100 increments and measure the effect for maybe a week or so, just to make sure that it's the right thing to do rather than just going, you know, going all out there. And I'd say just incidentally, that's something that really applies to Facebook as well, and perhaps even more so where um, you know, you're targeting people based on interest and, and Facebook will find you almost, uh, for, I'll use a cliched term, the low hanging fruit of the, the market first. And then as you increase, but, you know, you're trying to persuade more and more people to click on your ads and buy your stuff. Um, so, yeah, like definitely it's sort of an incremental increase. And yeah, sometimes you can find, you know, you've got a diminishing marginal returns, right? You know, as you increase your spend, it doesn't always lead to sort of linear results. And I'm glad you mentioned Facebook there, too, because we focused on Google but a lot of our conversation and the themes that we've discussed can actually be applied to Facebook ads and other social sites that offer PPC, such as LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. However, going back to Google, I think we'll all agree that if you do increase your budget, then they will find ways to spend it. So that is something to consider. It's a reason they've been one of the fastest growing companies, a reason they, they're worth as much as they are. And that's because lots and lots of people advertise on there and they're very good at producing products that are effective for advertising. 
Now, what I will say is, you know, we're a Google Premier partner. What we don't do is follow their recommendations for the sake of it. We'll always do what we see as being best for the client based on our experience. A lot of the time that ties together. Yeah, the other reason that they've done so well as an advertising platform is because their products are effective. But for example, you know, looking at the bid strategies, for example, which were pushed pretty hard two or three years ago, they didn't necessarily work then. It's taken time for really those those tools within the Google ad platform to have been optimized and you know obviously they've got a lot of developers working on them to make them as good as possible and now actually you know they they often do work better than manual bidding um so you know although their recommendations can be pretty good we don't just follow them blindly because yeah as you say you know they're, they're, if you give them money to spend they'll spend it for sure yeah i think that was an extremely valuable answer someone might be listening that isn't 100 percent familiar with the process and they might see their optimization score at say 50 60 percent and think oh maybe i have to do something and turn on all these recommendations and increase my budget in, in order to convert when in actual fact it's all about picking and choosing the right options for your business and your brand Gemma, you touched on impression share and using that to discover optimal spend do you have anything else that you can add there the best way is, as I said, just to increase budget a little bit, to do it incrementally, measure the results, measure the impact, and then you'll find your kind of optimal budget there. There are additional metrics to look at. So you can obviously look at absolute, absolute top search impression share. You can look at obviously click share now. There are various other metrics there that you can look at. But fundamentally, I think it's a case of increasing your budget, measuring the results then seeing whether you need to go back to where you were or whether you want to increase it further. So I think that's probably the best way to probably the best way to do that. It gives the when you increase the budget, in theory it shouldn't trigger algorithms to relearn, but it can have an impact on the results that you're getting. So it is important to uh, bear that in mind and try not to, like I said, try not to increase things massively by like 200, 300 a thousand pounds, that kind of thing in very short spaces of time, because that can be quite damaging in some cases. I think it's worth mentioning too, that upscaling doesn't always mean that you have to increase your budget by a large amount. You can increase your budget slightly, but scale up your account by perhaps targeting new keywords or launching a new display campaign, or even setting up Bing ads, for example. Almost always recommend running on Bing. It's kind of overlooked because and especially by digital marketers, because all of us are pretty tech savvy. And, you know, mo mo like I'm pretty old, I'm 38 and I'm pretty old for this industry. And so, you know, nobody's in their 20s probably uses Bing. But the fact is people do, and especially in the B2B or if you're targeting an older demographic. Um, I did see a really surprising stat. I think it's like 9% of the search engine market in the States. Um, so, it's, you know, like it's definitely worth um, running against. And yeah, look, if you if there are other keywords to test out and add in, great. That's another way of scaling. But definitely look at what other channels might be reasonable. Um, so it could be LinkedIn, Facebook, there's all kinds of places to run ads, right? Quora, Reddit, um, you know, we're seeing better and better results from YouTube or testing different, you know, especially with some of the paid social platforms where you can test different ad formats. So, you know, on Facebook, right, you've been running on single image where you can try some lead ads, you can try some carousels, you can try some slideshows, add in some video, um, even messenger bots. So, you know, there's always different things to test out. It's, it's, I don't think I've ever, and no matter how big or small an account gone, run out of stuff to try. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, there is always something else. And that, that's what's kind of fun about this industry is there's always something fun to test out um, and, and, and have a look at. So there's always new stuff to learn. I'm glad you mentioned Quora, Reddit and those other ad options as well, Jake. Another great one is podcast advertising, which is getting bigger and bigger. For anyone that doesn't know some of the possibilities with podcast advertising, 
You can record your own audio and send it to a show that's relevant to your business. And you can also do things like sponsor an episode or pay the host to mention or review your product. And I think that's going to continue to grow in size, especially with new big contracts for Joe Rogan and Kim Kardashian on Spotify exclusives and things like that. Going back to Google, one option that we didn't mention is remarketing. So do you have any tips there? They all obviously have a minimum size. And, you know, often when you start up, if you've got a small remarketing audience, you bung it in there, um, but it's not getting a lot of impressions or clicks. There's there's lots of different ways to remarket. I particularly like remarketing across different platforms. And I also like at the moment in a B2B context, rather than just trying to get people to buy stuff, often using remarketing to direct people to other blogs or pieces of content or informational stuff, because really what you're trying to do is prime the user for the sale. But yeah, like absolutely, as you gain more and more detail, and more and more data within the account, you can build out more granular remarketing audiences and send them to more different places. So yeah, it's a really important part. And especially where the longer the buyer journey is, I would say, you know, which is something you can see in analytics and AdWords, you know, how many touch points are required before you get that conversion. The longer that purchase pathway is, the more important remarketing becomes. Yeah, that's a good point regarding remarketing and the customer journey and how they connect with each other. Before we close out this segment, I think it's worth mentioning that if your current budget doesn't allow you to scale up, then at least you can invest your time in optimization with things like trials and experiments. If you have sort of tried out all of those different ad channels and you haven't got any more money to spend, then what can you do to get more bang for your buck? Well, that's, impre- that's increasing the conversion rate of the place that you're sending people to. Now, yeah, conversion rate optimization and landing page optimization is a whole, it's probably a podcast worth of a conversation. But, you know, if you just double, let's say you've got a conversion rate of 1% on a site and you turn that into 2%, that's only one extra person out of 100 that you're persuading to do the thing that you want them to do. But actually it's doubling the amount of revenue that you're getting from your ad spend so you know it's kind of crazy how that works absolutely and i think if we had the time then i'm sure that we could plan a whole episode around landing pages and conversion rate optimizations for you both but unfortunately we just don't let's move on to the final segment of our chat now we're going to be covering ad copy and call to actions which i suppose does have a bit of a crossover with landing pages as well because they're the driving force that gets the customer to the landing page So I often use pricing as one of our main call to actions in our ads. What is your opinion on using pricing as the main CTA or do you have any other strategies that you like to use instead? There are some cases where leading with the price or the percentage discount is incredibly powerful. It increases the click-through rate, increases the conversion rate. It's definitely, definitely worth doing. However, there are also uh, companies and I guess industries where they sell based on value rather than based on price. So in some cases, uh, leading with the price could potentially even be damaging. So in that case, we'll probably try and focus more on value. If, if for example, the product is three, four thousand pounds, for example, you probably wouldn't want to put that price in the ad. However, that said, there are things like price extensions where you can put the price. So the price can be omnipresent without you actually having to put it in the ad copy. But I'd definitely test it and try it and see. You know, that's the benefit of a responsive search ad, for example. You can put 10 headlines in and, and see what happens. So um, I think that's always worth doing. But yeah, I would I would say it depends on the values of the company and, and what they're trying to achieve as well. To do, it's always important to bear that in mind. And that goes back to our discussion in the last episode on experiments and testing new ideas, which responsive search ads are great for, as you mentioned. You also briefly mentioned extensions in your answer there, Gemma. Are there any extensions that you like to use that you find work really well? 
we consider it to be like real estate. You know, the more extensions you can use, you know, the, the more real estate you command on Google. So generally speaking, it's always good to start with site links. You know, use the descriptions as well in site links. Don't just add the, the headline and, and not put any more information there. Always try and use things like call outs and structured snippets. I'd say they're probably the, you know, the bread and butter, you know, the basic ones that you want to use. When you get into things like call extensions, um, location extensions, price extensions, those sorts of things, I think that probably depends whether you can justify using them, whether it's uh, whether it makes sense, you know, for, for the company that you're advertising. Um, and there are obviously many, many more examples as well. I think promotion extensions can be quite nice as well to use if you can. But generally, I think that it is also important to check the performance of those because obviously in some cases they might have a high uh, cost per lead or cost per sale so you might want to remove them but generally I reckon obviously the the advice is normally to add at least three of those but I think to be honest with you yeah the, the more the better you know you're saying more about your product and giving giving the user more opportunities to click or find out more so and there's one that's been introduced recently which is the lead form extensions and so you know if you're running on Facebook you know going back to sort of the Facebook side of things Facebook lead ads work really really well because it's such a low friction way to get somebody's contact details and to get them engaged with you and so you know they're always trying to copy each other Google Facebook to a lesser extent LinkedIn and so Facebook have sorry Google have added in the lead form extensions over what the last six months a year I think and they have actually like where we've tested them they've worked really well they do have some limitations in terms of how many fields and also you know with the Facebook lead ads you can use Zapier or even you know they have some direct integrations through to CRMs whereas you know the the Google lead ads aren't quite there yet but they work really, really well on Facebook. So I'm kind of really interested to see how well they start to perform on Google as they improve those. Yeah, cool thing with ads is that they are always adding new things to try out, which definitely keeps us busy. In reference to the point that Gemma made about filling out your ads as much as possible, does that mean that businesses should be listing all of their key features in their ad or, or could that be overwhelming to a prospective customer? I mean, in general, you want to test certain things. I often will find that We'll have a bit of industry experience. So, for example, you know, we've done a lot of real estate, we've done a lot of transport, um, you know, we've done a fair bit of e-com. So we'll have a pretty good idea of, you know, whether it's features, you know, is it benefits, which can often depend on where people are in the purchase funnel. You know, what what are what are the sort of triggers that drive in that specific circumstance? But really it's testing, you know, I've seen it's it's always worth testing this stuff because even, you know, no matter how much experience you've got and, and no matter what industry best practices tell you, sometimes there are going to be circumstances where where those are just wrong and they don't apply to that specific circumstance. Like I've seen, um, you know, there was a massive Facebook account we ran a couple of years back and at one point a typo slipped through the cracks. And you know what? It really, really annoyed me because I'm a bit of a grammar Nazi. It outperformed all of the other ads within that ad set. And you know, it's it's just so hard to tell. So I do think you know, try and use up like yeah, definitely use up as much real estate as you can. But you know, I know for example with the descriptions, you've got 90 characters. If you've got a really well written snippet in there, or you know, really well written bit in there that's only 75 characters, then that's fine. But yeah, like use up as much as you can, and then just test like different themes, perhaps of ad copy against one another. But do it in a rigorous way. You know, don't try and test all kinds of different stuff at once because you're never really going to know what caused what benefit or what what negative reaction. You know, try and be quite structured in how you approach your ad split testing. So I think that's a great answer to wrap up this final section on ad copy and call to actions. This episode has been a little bit shorter than last week's, but we've covered a whole lot of information. And if you've listened to both episodes, then I think the big takeaway is, which I mentioned a few minutes ago as well, testing and experimenting, trying new things, what works for one business or one industry might not work for someone else. 
and equally you can be just as successful with a smaller budget if you're investing it in the right areas. So just before I close out this second episode, I'm going to be asking a few fun career questions to Jake. So we're going to close out the episode with a couple of lighthearted questions for Jake. The questions focus on his career and any tips that he can share. If you did catch our last episode, then you'll know the format since I asked the same questions to Gemma. So no pressure, Jake, but let's get started. So first of all, do you have any fun or interesting stories that you could share with us from the beginning of your career? So I was a bartender for quite a long time. And then um, eventually a girlfriend at the time told me I had to get a grown up job and I did. And so my first office job was working in recruitment for marketing and PR. And at that point, like I'd never, I'd never used out, you know, Outlook really. I think I had an email account. We're looking at sort of 2005 or so. I was really not very techie. And anyway, I was asked to sort of do this mass email send out to all of the candidates on our database. And I didn't really know that there was a thing called CC or BCC. Um, so I just sent the email to everybody. And apparently that didn't go down too well. So that was like, I mean, it wasn't quite a marketing job. Like I eventually realized I liked the marketing side more than the recruitment side. Well, I realized that pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, that didn't go down very well. Yeah, that sounds like an absolute nightmare. I'm not sure how you can quite recover from uh, sending everyone the same email, but mistakes happen, I guess. And it's interesting because quite a few of our guests have answered that question by sharing a mistake that they've made. And we've been lucky to interview lots of really experienced and talented marketers on the show. And it's nice that it shows that, you know, we're all human and we've all made some sort of errors along the way. One final question. Do you have any resources that you think might be useful to our listeners? I think a lot of the big industry publications are really, really good. Those are great. There are two that specifically spring to mind, though. So there's one guy called Avinash Kausik, um, and he runs a blog called Occam's Razor. Now, he is really an analytics guy, and that's very, very deep into analytics and reporting. But I think, you know, if you're looking at strategy and you're looking at how to understand the data that you're giving to your clients, that guy, he's he's pretty much the best there is. Um, there's a few others out there. There's like Measure School. And then another one that's actually from an SEO perspective, but if you're a digital marketer, you probably want to know about that. And I think that Brian Dean at Backlinko, anytime that he puts out a piece of content, it's just absolutely amazing. You know, they're always really long form. The one he did recently was analyzing several hundred thousand websites and, and search rankings and then looking at what elements actually you know what 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 correlated different elements that, that led to different rankings so whether it's site speed whether it's different types of headline you know technical seo all of that kind of stuff so those two i think are really really good those are the first two that spring to mind for me yeah completely agree with backlinko it's a great resource and i'll be sure to check out that blog on analytics as well so thank you jake for your answers That concludes the second episode in this series. I hope everyone's enjoyed listening to this new format with two guests across multiple episodes. And I'll finish by saying a big thanks to Jake and Gemma for sharing their insights and time with us. And we'll be back very soon with a new episode.